Support for this podcast comes from Outdoor Supply Hardware, inviting listeners to OSHA's big anniversary sale celebration, May 20th through the 26th, featuring daily deals, $15,000 in giveaways, 20% off store-wide on Saturday and Sunday, and a lot more. Learn more at OSH.com. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Marisa Lagos in for Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, who's in the running for California governor, attorney general, controller, and U.S. senator? We look at the major statewide races on your ballot and break down the candidates' positions on abortion, gun violence, and housing. And California voters this election could determine the balance of power in the House of Representatives. We'll look at some of the highly competitive congressional races up and down the state. Join us with your questions about the people on the ballot and tell us how you might vote. That's next after this news. This is Forum. I'm Marisa Lagos in for Mina Kim. Time was California voters didn't have a lot of say in who controlled Congress, but that was before independent redistricting, which has made a number of seats more competitive here in California. This year, all eyes may be on the Golden State as votes are counted on election night and beyond. And that stands in contrast to the seemingly inevitable statewide races for governor and Senate. But there could be some statewide surprises, and we're going to get into all those contests and more this hour, part of this week's politics team election takeover of Forum. Here's who's joining us, Scott Schaefer, KQD's politics and government editor and co-host with myself, A Political Breakdown. Hey, Scott, from the other side of the studio. Hey, you look good <laughs> over there. Thank you. Guy Marzarati is joining us from our San Jose Bureau. He's reporter and producer for our California politics and government desk. Morning, Guy. Hey, Marisa. And Seema Mehta. She is staff writer for the LA Times covering the midterm elections. Seema, thanks so much as well. Thank you for having me on. All right. So, Scott, let's start with you and this governor's debate. We are hosting this on Sunday. We expect it will be the only matchup between these two candidates, excuse me, Governor Gavin Newsom and Brian Daly. And we should say it's going to be live on the radio at one o'clock on on Sunday and uh, at 6 p.m. on KQED TV. It'll be streaming online. Um, Let's start with Daly because he is less known than the governor. What do you expect to hear from him? What is he running on? Well, he's running on Democrats control everything in Sacramento and look at the mess we're in. Uh, homelessness, cost of housing, price of gas, crime, you know, you name it. Anything that people don't like about California can in some ways be blamed on Democrats because they are the ones who control all the policy levers up in Sacramento. And so, you know, that that is something that that's that's the Republican playbook for years now because they have really been shut out of power in Sacramento in terms of the budget and everything else. And so that's his message. Look, it's like, hey, why you why would you uh, you know hire somebody to do a job given the state of California? In terms of alternatives, you know, it's a little vague sometimes, uh, but less government. Uh, let's get rid of the gas tax. Uh, let's do things to streamline, say, uh, some of the. Uh, regulations that slow down housing production. Let's audit some of these homeless programs. We're throwing all this money at homelessness and you don't really see the results. So that's kind of where he's coming from in general. I mean, that's it's basically, look, if you don't like 
the state of California, which polls show a lot of people are not happy with the direction of the state. Let's try something different. Let's try me, Senator Brian Daly, who represents a, a big portion of the northeast part of the state, north of Sacramento, mostly rural. Yeah. I mean, Seema, everything Scott says is true. And yet Democrats just have such an advantage when it comes to the numbers in California. I know, however, that you've been out in a lot of the swing congressional districts and these are more purple parts of the state. Do you think anything Dolly is talking about is resonating? I mean, I think the problem for him is that he doesn't have the money really to get his message out. Mm -hmm. So I don't think voters necessarily know the argument that he's making because he has such a huge financial disadvantage compared to the governor. Um, so ultimately, I mean, unless something, I mean, when you talk to voters, they're absolutely 100% are concerned about in the cost of living, the cost of gas, inflation, um, homelessness, public safety. But I don't necessarily think that many of them understand that, that you know, Dolly is making the argument that, you know, Governor Newsom is responsible for this, as you know, since he's been the leader of the state. Um, so it's it's really challenging for a statewide candidate. If you don't have the money to advertise on television in a state this big, it's really difficult to get your message out. Absolutely. And Guy, I, I do want to um, turn to some other races in this first segment. So I don't want to spend too much time on the governor's race, honestly. But talk about what you see Newsom talking about. I mean, we have seen him really kind of come out on the national stage. He's got billboards up in Florida and swing states. But like, what is he what is his message to Californians? Well, I think in the this re-election campaign, he's tied a large portion of it to Proposition 1, which is the ballot measure that would codify abortion rights in the state. A really savvy political move to get that on the ballot. It's It will likely pass uh, overwhelmingly in the state. It will not change much the next day in California. But I do think it's the issue of this year for Democrats and, and having that on the ballot, both on, in close congressional districts to use as kind of a wedge issue, but also just to you know, tie the campaign to this. Newsom himself, I mean, he's poured millions of dollars into the Prop 1 campaign. He has ads that are basically, it's a Prop 1 ad, but it's Newsom is the one who, who you're seeing on the screen. Mm. And I don't think, you know, Daly can get away from that issue, right? I think this, uh, and the Republican Party in the state more more broadly, um, and I think that's, you know, it's been a savvy move from for Democrats in California to really tie their fortunes to Prop 1 up and down the ballot. Yeah, because it is interesting when you talk to Daly and a lot of these congressional Republicans, and we'll get to that in a little bit, they really are on their back feet when they, it comes to abortion. They, you know, want to say, yes, I oppose it, but they also want to make clear that they wouldn't be able to change it. And that's sort of... A little bit disingenuous, Scott, right? To be like saying, well, yes, like on the, in the case of the congressional races, I support a nationwide ban. And yet don't worry about it because it's not going to happen. Yeah, I can't get that done anyway because the legislature is all Democrats. Yeah, no, it's true. It's a tough needle to thread. And, you know, to Seema's point, uh, in any case, getting a message out that's that nuanced uh, or any other message is difficult if you don't have the resources. Yeah. And, you know, for better or worse... For worse, if you're a Republican and, you know, some good government folks, too, might say it's not so great to just have one, essentially one party at the statewide level here in California. Uh, but, you know, if you have an R next to your name, as Catherine Baker found out when she ran for re-election over in the East Bay, a very moderate Republican, that R is sometimes the only thing people look at. They don't really even consider voting for somebody who's a Republican in a lot of California, not all of it, but a lot of it. All right. We are talking about statewide and we will be talking about congressional races on your ballot with Scott Schaefer and Guy Marzarati from KQAD and Seema Mehta, staff writer from the L.A. Times. Seema, before we move on to the other races, what do you, what do, what's your bet? Is Newsom running for president? And more importantly, <laughs> like, should we care as voters in California? <laughs> um well, I mean, I think we should note that he has uh, his first general election ad was um, not in California. It was in Florida. Um, so I think that that is 
a little telling. Um, I just want to add one little thing, though, about Prop 1. This really reminds me of 2014 when Governor Brown was running for re-election. And he had an opponent who also did not have a ton of money and wasn't really well known. So he put his money behind two propositions. One was a water bond and one was um, a rainy day fund. And that became his general election campaign. And, that, and we're seeing Newsom do the exact same thing with, with Prop 1 and abortion rights this year. Um, do I think, I, 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 after 2016, I think many of us got out of the prediction business, but um, he's certainly enjoys being on the national stage and provoking uh, some Republican governors, such as, you know, Ron DeSantis and Greg Abbott. So, um, you know, I mean, the question is, do we see him start showing up in like Iowa and New Hampshire and how does he play there? Yeah. Well, we'll have to see. I mean, there's some time there, but uh, let's move on to some of the other statewide races. Uh, Attorney General, this is incumbent Rob Bonta, who was elect or appointed to the position rather by Newsom um, after Alex Wait, sorry. I, there's so ma- there were so many moves, right? <laughs> <laughs> Attorney General um, Javier Becerra. Javier Becerra left. became uh, HHS Health Secretary. Secretary. I know he's yeah. sort of, but we need to see him on a milk carton. I forgot carton. about him. Yeah. Um, all right. So, uh, <laughs> Guy Marzarati, um, Republican challenger Nathan Hawkman is going up against Bonta. He is a more moderate Republican. We've had him on Political Breakdown. Tell us just a little bit about him and like what you see him trying to make this race about. Yeah, I mean, he brings an interesting biography to the race as both someone who's been a prosecutor on the federal level, but also a defense attorney. Again, though, I think it comes back to, you know, running as a Republican as much as Hockman has tried to jump on the, you know, crime or public safety issue and make this more of a referendum on that. He's it's it's an inability to escape his party branding. The issue of abortion has come up in this race as well, right? The attorney general, how to what extent are you protecting state abortion laws? Um, and even people, you know, traveling across state lines to re- to receive reproductive health care. I don't think it, it's been kind of the same uphill fight for Hockman, right? To overcome being the a a Republican, he's tried to brand himself as you know I'm in the hard middle, as mm-hmm. he calls it. He's you know my so-called moderate Republican. Um, I just think on on the statewide level, it's very hard to overcome that, you know, especially for a race that brings so much partisan energy energy into it, like attorney general, maybe something like controller, we can talk about that in a little bit, might be easier because the nature of that office is more of an independent watchdog or a fiscal watchdog. Well, and we saw Anne-Marie Schubert, the DA in Sacramento County, move away from the Republican Party, became an independent, ran in the primary, and just didn't get any traction. A lot of us thought she would have been a really, you know, maybe a tougher candidate for Rob Bonta to face in November, but she came in a distant third, I think, uh, maybe even fourth. Um, she didn't have people do look for that party uh, designation on the ballot, and, and I think that it's it's been very difficult for independents to break through uh, in California. Yeah. Seaman, do you feel like public safety is sort of rising to the top enough for someone like Hawkman to make any inroads? I mean, again, last year we were hearing a lot about this. Obviously, there was the recall in San Francisco of the DA, of uh, two efforts to recall, get it on the ballot in, San, or in Los Angeles uh, against DA George Gascon have failed. Is it top of mind or are people just so worried about gas prices and inflation? I think it's one of the things that's top of mind, but I think one, again, I think if this race was taking place, say, 10 years ago, it might be a different question. But again, because the state has gotten so much more democratic, because it's gotten younger and more diverse, um, it's just a really tough 
it's really tough for a Republican to get elected statewide, particularly if you don't have any money. In terms of independence, I mean, I think that, you know, the Anna Marie Schubert case was sort of a test case that a lot of people were watching to see, you know, can, can an independent break through? And it seems like the lessons we've learned so far is that unless, you know, you have like maybe an independently wealthy independent who can throw a lot of money at television, um, that it's, it's, it's also an uphill battle because, you know, most voters, they probably don't know her name and they probably, you know, a lot of voters just look for the R and the D, um, you know, especially in down ballot races where there isn't as, lot, as much information. Well, oh. and we'll get to a millionaire being on the ballot at the end of when we talk about the LA mayor's race. I was going to say, yeah, he switched parties and that seemed to work for right. him. <laughs> I'll also just say one more thing on the AG, Marisa. I do think the theory of Hawkman's campaign, right, was can I turn the, you know, energy against local prosecutors like Chase Boudin and Gascon onto a statewide platform? Basically, I see this discontent at the local level with public safety can I turn one into two on the statewide level? And I don't think that message has broken through. Maybe people don't associate the state attorney general with local prosecution or local crime issues, but I think that he has not been able to make that case statewide. Well, and we saw that disconnect here in San Francisco when 55% of voters voted to recall Chesa Boudin, the progressive DA here, but I think 75%, 76% also voted for Rob Bonta. So, I mean, clearly San Francisco is a very democratic county, but nonetheless, uh, people think of those jobs in different ways. The DAs are, you know, right, yeah. right up front, you know, uh, yeah. working And it's not cops. always fair. I mean, we, we pushed him on this a little bit when we talked to him because it's not, he's not the DA <laughs> as attorney general. Um, you know, we're here talking all hour about statewide and congressional races on your ballot this fall with Scott Schaefer, KQED politics and government editor and co-host of Political Breakdown, Guy Marzarati, reporter and producer on our politics desk, and Seema Mehta, staff writer for the LA Times. She's covering the midterm elections. And we want to hear from you. What are your questions or observations about the candidates for statewide office. What issues or set of issues will determine who gets your vote? You can email us at forum at kqed.org. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum. Or give us a call, 866-733-6786. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. And welcome back to Forum. I'm Marisa Lagos. In today for Mina Kim, part of our week-long politics takeover of Forum. We are talking this morning about statewide races and some of those congressional districts that are getting so much attention. I'm here with Seema Mehta. She's staff writer for the LA Times covering the midterm elections. Guy Marzarati, reporter and producer for uh, KQED's California Politics and Government Desk. And Scott Schaefer. He is our politics and government editor and co-host of Political Breakdown. 
Um, and Scott, let's talk to you next about the state controllers race. This is a race between San Francisco former supervisor Malia Cohen and Lonnie Chen, who's a Stanford professor and sort of longtime uh, political dabbler, let's say. He's never <laughs> run before, but he's worked on campaigns. Uh, Lonnie Chen's Kind of the one Republican that might have a chance statewide this year, it feels like. Yeah, I mean, that's the conventional wisdom. I mean, he's gotten almost every major newspaper endorsement, I think, uh, waiting to see what the Chronicle does. But the L.A. Times, uh, you know, just right down the list, they've all endorsed Lan Hee Chen. And, you know, this is, again, as I think Guy alluded to earlier, this is kind of a nonpartisan-ish office. Uh, you know, the controller is basically the chief accountant for California. They pay all the bills. They have auditing power. They sit on 70 boards and commissions. Gray Davis was the controller. He became governor. So it's often seen as kind of a, like a stopping point up, up the ladder, really, to become, uh, you know, high for a higher office in the state of California. Malia Cohen is chair of the Board of Equalization, another obscure office uh, that handles tax matters. Um, not super well known. She's never run statewide. Lan Hee Chen, you know, first time ever. And it's interesting, Malia Cohen is the Democrat in this race, and she is, her one and only ad so far, basically is about abortion and that you can't trust Lan Hee Chen to be controller because he will try to stop paying for abortions and reproductive health services. That's not really what the controller does. Uh, but nonetheless, a lot of people do have concerns about, uh, you know, putting a Republican in a statewide position. He could if he wanted to. And he says he doesn't want to. But he could, you know, do some audits, say, of the $200 million that is in the budget now for helping to pay for abortion services for women coming in from out of town. But I think, again, you know, bottom line, Lan Hee Chen, he actually has more money than Malia Cohen. He's gotten a lot of attention from he's sort of the Republican statewide that the party both here and across the country is putting their chips on, because, as you said, he probably has the best chance of winning because he is qualified in the sense that he he does he is steeped in public policy he can talk about what the controller does uh, very easily and well with a lot of detail uh, but again can he get past that R next to his name on the ballot it's been 16 years 2006 since a couple Republicans Steve Poisner running for insurance commissioner and Arnold Schwarzenegger got elected um, and it's it is tough it's a tough uh, hill to climb he did finish first in the primary with about 37 percent of the vote because there were a couple of Democrats running. But, um, yeah, that's it, it, it's an, one of those important jobs that a lot of people don't really know what they do. But uh, nonetheless, it's, it is a key position. We have a comment from Barbara. I don't know if anyone wants to take this. We can maybe go down the line. Uh, she says, the one thing I want to know about all candidates is whether they acknowledge the results of the 2020 election, which have been upheld by numerous audits and court cases. Seema or Guy, I don't know if you guys know offhand what Dali, Lonnie Chen, um, uh, Nathan Hawkman feel about this? I have not talked. To, I've talked to congressional candidates about this, but I have not yeah. talked to the statewide candidates about this. Yeah, I don't think we've uh, heard from Dali on. I mean, hey, there's a question for Sunday. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, but Lonnie Chen, I think this came up in our in you know there was conversation about whether or not he voted for Trump in 2020, and I think he said he did not. Um, I don't haven't seen specifically asked about election results. Yeah. And we do know that some of the congressional candidates that we'll get to uh, do not. And I believe um, moving on to another race, U.S. Senate, Alex Padilla is being challenged by Republican lawyer Martin Moiser. Um, I do believe that he does not believe the results of the uh, 2020 election. In fact, I think he works for the law firm, SEMA, uh, that uh, Harmeet Dillon, longtime Republican activist who's, who's filed some of these lawsuits, I believe, and, and definitely got involved 
involved um, in a lot of pushback with Newsom and uh, COVID restrictions. Have you been following that race at all? Do you know anything about Mark Mucher? I know he's run a couple times before. Right. I mean, he's run before. Actually, I think he's run against Padilla before for, um, gosh, I, they had a, now it's totally slipped my mind, but I think this is the second Secretary time. Secretary of State. Yeah. Secretary right, of State. Right. right. Yeah. So this is the second time they're matching up. Um, again, it's a money problem because yeah, he doesn't really have any. So I mean, this also shows like Alex Padilla, he hasn't aired a single general election ad. He really is not, he's not campaigning for himself. He's out there campaigning for other people. Um, he's giving his money away to other candidates and other you know states and, and, and also in California. Um, and I, so I think the lack of his general election campaigns sort of shows the confidence that they have in in terms of uh, his, his re-election. His rival has been involved in um, a number of lawsuits that are pretty interesting. I think he was successful in the lawsuit. Um, remember when Democrats tried to keep Trump's name from being on the ballot mm-hmm. you know, unless he released tax returns? I think that, that was one of the suits where he was successful. He was involved in a number of the COVID suits um, involving masking and requirements, that kind of thing. So, I mean, I think he, in, in the Republican community, I mean, he's pretty well known among, you know, among uh involved activists etc but i do wonder for the average voter do they have any idea who he is probably not likely not and he is i would say when you look at a lot of these races i mean nathan hockman the ag candidate for republicans is pro-choice he is very much more moderate i would say than than mark musher um guy marzarati before we move on to congressional races as Seema said, you know, Alex Padilla doesn't seem to feel like he needs to run a big race. Um, can you talk a little bit, though, about what he's been like as a senator uh, since his appointment by the governor? I think active. I mean, he really he's been uh, a constant presence here in, in California uh, on the media. I think he's definitely been maybe to, he's been to the left of Diane Feinstein. Um, and I think he's, you know, a large part of his job, I think, in these, this first uh, run up to the first time he's on the ballot uh, for for re-election is kind of introducing himself to California voters. I think as Secretary of State, he had a outsized platform compared to his predecessors just because of how much importance election issues took on. And, you know, he was took a leading role in, in really administering the election in California in 2020. Um, one thing I'll point out about this race for folks at home is that it is on the ballot twice. So there's a, a law passed by the state legislature basically making that you have to vote on this race twice. You have to vote to Padilla or Moisier to fill out the rest of Padilla's appointed term, which is basically through the rest of this year, and then voting a second time on a six-year term that will start in January. So that's not a misprint. They are on the ballot together twice. <laughs> All right, so we're nice. Gonna... I voted twice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Good to know for folks. Um, I do want to take a caller who has a kind of broader question about gun control. Albert is calling from Rio Vista. Albert, go ahead. Yes. Hi. Can you hear me? Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. 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 Uh, thank you very much for taking the question. Uh, listen, isn't the issue of public safety really related to? Uh, so many guns uh, out in the environment and violence and uh, gun control that the Republicans strongly resist and also funding for reforming police departments to include uh, better uh, social uh, interaction with with the uh, minority population. Great question. Republicans also resist. Yeah, great question. I mean, Scott, this is kind of one of those perennial questions of like, how do you frame public safety? Is it about police officers? Is it about gun control? Can it be about both? Uh, Democrats have struggled with this, to be clear. They have. And I think, you know, really muddying the waters was after 
George Floyd was killed uh, in Minneapolis. Uh, there was that phrase, defund the police, which Democrats have been running from ever since. I think it was uh, maybe not the best phrase to just say, hey, maybe we shouldn't have police officers responding to some certain kinds of calls. But uh, yeah, they it, it certainly it hurt them, I think, in the 2020 midterms. There's still a residual from that. But yeah, the caller, Albert, I think I would guess is a Democrat, uh, just in terms of his framing this as a gun problem. Uh, and there's no question that's certainly the most violent crimes. Uh, so we're looking at what's happening in Oakland uh, in the last few weeks. Uh, it's all gun related. Um, and often illegal guns. And and I, that... Illegal guns and ghost guns yeah, right. that are hard to trace. And, you know, California has done a pretty good job of, uh, of cracking down on that. But, you know, we have we border states where guns come in pretty freely. Um, and I think Democrats are trying to focus more on sort of being smart on crime. That's a phrase Kamala Harris used a lot when she was DA and when she ran for AG. Uh, but it is that dueling narrative of like, what's the best approach to crime? Right. Um, we do have a comment from Paul. He says, I don't know why reporters continue to fan the flames of Newsom running for president when he's emphatically stated in interviews he is not running. He says, as recently as last week, guy, come to our defense. Uh, we're not crazy here. It's <laughs> it's a little bit odd to be taking out ads in states you're not running in if you don't have any plans to run there, right? Right. That's exactly right. And I think, you know, so much of this conversation is driven by Democrat anxiety about Joe Biden running for reelection in, in 2024. That hey, here's the question to the governor: Like, if he's reelected, will he commit to serving the next four years? Yeah, absolutely. Of course he will. All right, um, <laughs> Seema, I want to move and uh, pivot to congressional races. You just wrote a big story about the races that are potentially uh, flip opportunities for either party, and you wrote that California, despite its deep blue tilt, offers chances for both parties to flip seats. Republicans need to pick up a net of just five seats nationally to gain control of the House. Uh, do you think we will be the difference between <laughs> Democrats or Republicans holding that speaker gavel? Well, that's the question. I mean, the question is, do you see a huge red wave? You know, I mean, earlier this year, um, prior to the abortion ruling, you know, people were predicting a pretty bad year for Democrats because, you know, Biden's, Biden's not particularly pop popular. You have inflation, you have gas prices, et cetera. And the party in control of the White House typically does, doesn't do that well during uh, the first midterm election in their tenure. So the question is, if you know, early on, if you see like, a huge red wave building from the East Coast, then no, we probably won't matter. But if if you know if abortion is motivating voters in a way that Democrats are really hoping that it is, then and it's you know, you, you see you know some close races, then we really could you know help determine um, the control of Congress, or um, we could also help determine how much power the next speaker probably Kevin McCarthy, how much power he has. I mean, it's different if he, if Republicans have like, you know, 30, 40 seat advantage or if they have, you know, five seat advantage. So right. it really, we're going to influence something one way or the other. I mean, we've seen that in this Congress, how it can be challenging for Democrats. Of course, the the Senate's where it's really played out with that 50-50 right. split. Absolutely. But I think even on some bills in, in, in the House, you know, you see, if nothing else, the Speaker giving a pass to a, a limited number of folks who might not want to go up on a, on a hard vote that might be more difficult in a swing district. Well, uh, and in a lot yeah. of cases on, on bills like funding the government, keeping the government open, uh, you know, Republicans, a lot of Republicans don't vote for that. Democrats end up carrying the day on that. But if they're in the minority, it'll, you know, will Democrats go along to basically 
keep the government open, but, you know, save the Republicans from themselves. We'll see. All right. We want to hear from our listeners. If you have questions or observations about candidates for statewide offices, I'll say we've moved on to congressional races. So in particular, if you have any questions about those, give us a call. We are at 866-733-6786. You can also find us on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. We're at KQED Forum. You can email us comments or questions to forum at kqed.org. And Guy, you know, Republicans, as we've said, are really hammering on inflation, the economy, gas prices. Democrats want to talk more about abortion, personal freedom, democracy. Any sense of like who's winning that battle? I mean, is there um, can you do both, I guess, in some of these congressional districts? Well, I think in large part what we're seeing is that two parties having completely different conversations with voters. And there was an NPR poll uh, last week that was great evidence of this. They asked just a simple question of what issue is most important to voters. Republicans said like over 50 percent inflation and around 20 percent immigration. Democrats, those issues were not even comparable. They were saying preserving democracy at 32 percent, abortion 21 percent and health care at 15 percent. So it's almost these two entirely different conversations. I think Democrats, history would say Democrats going into this year faced a number of challenges to basically just avoiding a blowout. I think the Dobbs decision has helped them check off one box, which is just motivate their own base. Clearly, abortion has motivated Democratic voters in special elections. And I think you're you know, seeing that in House contests as well. The second part of that is being able to outperform the approval of your own president. That's the part that's unclear. Will they be able to do that? The economy, I think a lot of voters have lost trust in the president on the economy. Inflation doesn't seem to be getting any better before Election Day. And, you know, I think you have these these two uh, competing conversations. I think I would ask uh, Seema this. You've been in the in these districts. Yeah. Has abortion peaked as an issue? I think that's a big question for Democrats now with the few weeks left. Well, and also, Seema, not just abortion, but some of the other things Dems want to motivate folks on, right? Uh, the Dob- Not just the Dobbs decision, but Biden canceling a lot of student loan debt. He just... Uh, uh, basically wiped away a lot of marijuana convictions from the federal mm-hmm. level. Um, you know, and uh, truthfully, if you put aside the inflation stuff, Democrats have had a lot of legislative wins this year. Right. Inflation, you know, their Inflation Act, their Infrastructure Act, climate change. Uh, how are, are people acknowledging any of those? Or do you think any of those other issues could be enough to sway maybe younger voters to actually come out and vote? Well, that's the thing. I mean, so Democratic voters, especially young voters and voters of color, do not, you know, they don't vote as, in as high of, of numbers as they could in most midterm elections. So clearly, a number of the messages are aimed at really motivating these voters and getting them to turn off because that would make um, a number of these seats more competitive. It really depends on like which district when you talk about these issues. Like, for example, in Orange County, you do hear you know suburban women talking about abortion, talking about this decision, and you know, in sort of deeply personal ways. In the Central Valley, you don't hear it quite as much. I mean, this is anecdotal. Um, and there is some uh, democratic polling that also suggests, you know, that the abortion issue it 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 plays differently in different parts of the state. Um, so uh in you know, when you go to events like say with Katie Porter or uh, Mike Levin, they are clearly saying, hey, look at all these democratic victories, look at all these legislative victories. And they're definitely trying to remind voters of that. Um, but then they're you know, also saying it at a time when you're driving by a gas station and gas is like six bucks a gallon or whatever. Um, so it's, it's, it's complicated. In some of the advertising, we do see Democrats trying to sort of have a dual message. Like for example, uh, um, Kermit Jones, who's uh, challenging, I'm sorry, 
Kevin uh, Kiley. Kevin yeah. Kiley. Yeah. Um, up in the third district, his, like one of his ads, it starts off talking about, about abortion, but then it instantly turns to the economy, gas prices, inflation. So they, some Democrats are trying to sort of have a dual message. Um, and also the messaging does, as I said, sort of, it varies um, in, in terms of the intensity, um, in, but in terms of where, whether it's Southern California or the Central Valley, yeah. um, because you, know, you have different kinds of Democrats in the state, even though there's a lot of them, there's, they are on sort of a scale of, you know, super liberal um, or more moderate. Well, well com- yeah, I was going to say, com- say, I'm sorry. Oh, just you were, we only have a couple of minutes before break, Scott, but you were down in, in Palm Springs where LGBT issues could be a big deciding factor in a race between uh, longtime Congressman uh, Kev- Ken, Ken Calvert, Calvert mm-hmm. um, and Will Rollins. Right. Yeah. Very interesting. A couple of different cross currents there. Um, Calvert's been there 30 years uh, and done pretty well in terms of reelection. Uh, but the district has been redrawn. They've lost Temecula and Murrieta, which are two of the more conservative parts of Calvert's district. And they've added Palm Springs, Rancho Mirage, and some of the western Coachella Valley, which Palm Springs has an entirely LGBTQ city council. And so Calvert's record of being of voting against gay rights, uh, having gays in the military, that sort of thing, is, you know, Will Rollins, who is gay, he's a federal prosecutor, um, trying to make hay out of that. And that has definitely gotten the attention of Palm Springs voters and gay LGBT donors. Uh, he outraised Calvert by two to one in this last uh, quarter. And since we're on that race, Ken Calvert did vote against certifying the election. He voted against certifying it. And, uh, you know, as a federal prosecutor, Will Rollins helped to prosecute and build the cases against some of the rioters and insurrectionists on January 6th. So you have, you know, a very stark difference between these two candidates. It is a, you know, it's still, you know, it's evenly divided now in terms of Dems and Republicans. And it's, you know, it's always tough to, to defeat an incumbent. Will Rollins not that well known, you know, yeah. so we'll see what people are looking for. But he's he's a very good candidate. I will say that he's a great campaigner, uh, very articulate and uh, funny. You know, he's really the kind of candidate I think that any party would like to have. Guy Marzardi, real quickly. I mean, it does seem like in a lot of these races, and we're going to talk about some of them after the break, Dems need to motivate their voters and Republicans need to persuade their voters. Is that or, or independents? Is well, that no, I, fair? I think, you know, I think Democrats also have a persuasion to do. And I, I think that's where it comes down to that that final you know stretch around messaging on the economy. And Democrats don't have a lot to show for it. I mean, when you have such a large percentage of the electorate saying they trust Republicans more on the economy, I think, you know, it's getting late for Democrats to land on an economic issue or a message that will resonate. All right. We are talking about this year's election, statewide races, congressional races on your ballot. We've got KQED, Scott Schaefer and Guy Marzarati and the L.A. Times, Seema Mehta. We are going to talk more. So give us a call. 866-733-6786 or... Tweet at us at KQED uh, Forum. You can also email us, forum at kqed.org. You got any questions about any of these races, issues that are really motivating you, let us know. We've got another 20 minutes or so to chat. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Marisa Lagos and Fermina Kim today, part of our week-long politics takeover of this wonderful show, Forum. And I'm here with Guy Marzarati and Scott Schaefer, as well as the LA Times, Seema Mehta. And Seema, you've been traveling around. Um, let's let's hit a couple districts. Have you, uh, I know the Mike Garcia race up in northern Los Angeles County has been uh, getting a lot of attention. Mike Garcia is a former fighter pilot who has beat in uh, Christy Smith, the Democratic challenger, several times in previous special elections and others. He also voted against certification of the election, is anti-abortion, pretty staunch conservative in a district that's a lot more Democratic than it was last time he ran. Right. I mean, in, in, even when he ran last time, there were Democrats that number of Republicans in the district. However, he's been very successful at pressing while he holds deeply conservative views that might be out of step um, with the number of members of his voters in his district, he's been very successful at, at presenting this image of uh, focusing on things that he's done that you know, have been sort of more bipartisan. Um, he's, you know, I think most people up there, whether they're Democrats or Republicans, would compliment his office's work with veterans, um, which there's a lot of veterans that live in that district. Um, he's done stuff for aerospace, defense, which is are some industries that have a lot of people um, employed in that district. And also, I mean, he does Spanish language advertising, and he's not running around like sort of you know talking about January 6th and his beliefs on the election. No, in fact, he votes, doesn't so. want to, I would right, say. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's, so the messaging that voters get in that district show a much more uh, moderate Republican, I think, than you, you know, than if you looked at his voting record, you would think he was. Yeah. Um, and then Christy Smith, you know, she's lost to him twice already. And I, mean, I think Democrats, I mean, we're hearing that Democrats might be a little bit concerned, even though Democratic voters have such a registration advantage in that district and really believe that that was like really one of their best pickup opportunities um, in the state, if not the country. Um, you know, Nancy Pelosi's group uh, just pulled down advertising in LA for this week. And we are hearing that Democrats are concerned about her performance. Scott, we had one of our colleagues, Taiki Hendricks, down in that district, which is also um, does have a lot of Latino voters, as we said, more Democrats, but has been a challenge challenge for Democrats in the past. It is a slightly more rural, I guess you could say, part of Los Angeles County. What did Taiki find out? Well, you know, there's interesting cross currents there with, uh, you know, Garcia being Latino, a third of the voters in that district are Latino. So there's this, you know, he wants to talk about things like jobs and the economy and crime. Uh, He is a former Navy fighter pilot. You know, there's a lot of uh, aerospace in that district. There's an Air Force base there as well. So all those things help Garcia in terms of talking to voters. Uh, Christy Smith, uh, you know, not Latina, uh, obviously, but uh, so but there are, she's really playing the abortion card very heavily talking about that. And, you know, as we said earlier, you know, Latinos are a little more conservative on these issues, abortion choice. Um, however, they tend to be uh, pro-abortion rights, even if they themselves aren't that comfortable with it. So it is, it is, you know, it is a big dynamic in that race, along with uh, the the cultural background of the candidates. But yeah, I think uh, you know, Christy Smith. I said Will Rounds is a great candidate. Not so much for Christy Smith. I mean, she really has struggled to get traction in that district. And uh, you know, this is this is one she could certainly win given the registration numbers. But uh, it's been it's been tough uh, for her to. 
to yeah. get over the finish line. Guy Marzorti, another district where Dems on paper have the advantage but have struggled is uh, California's now 22nd district. This includes parts of Bakersfield, Delano, uh, Hanford. David Valadeo is a pretty moderate Republican, holds that seat, did vote uh, for impeachment of Trump in the second vote. So I think has been on the defensive on the right on that. Um but I want you to talk a little bit about the man challenging him, Rudy Salas. This is a state assemblyman who is really governed as a more centrist Democrat, as has another Democrat running in a, a neighboring district, Adam Gray, um, who is uh, up against John Duarte. Do you think that their pro-oil kind of, you know, sort of more moderate business votes could make a difference when it comes to this congressional race? Or is everything just too national? Right. I think the, the, those two races are a great experiment in candidate recruitment versus national landscape. Like you couldn't do better candidate recruitment. These are two folks, Rudy Salas, Adam Gray, who have basically, you know, stood apart from the entire Democratic Party in the state legislature on votes like the gas tax, um, on votes concerning the oil industry. They've they've split from their party. They have moderate voting records. They have name ID in their districts, having been on the ballot for you know the better part of the decade. Does that matter at all in a landscape where the president is incredibly unpopular, where, you know, most midterm the parties, the party that's in power gets turned out of power? And it's in House races like this difficult to establish your own identity. You can't, you know, blanket the airwaves in a way a Senate candidate can. So I think these two, if you're interested in that little political experiment, watch these two districts. Can Adam Gray, can Rudy Salas break through? If they can't, what I think it just means is the Democratic Party brand in these districts is poisonous more so than maybe each of the individual candidates. And Scott, uh, former Vice President Mike Pence is in the Valley today. I don't, does that help or hurt uh, Valadeo? <laughs> well, know. it's interesting because, you know, as you said, he was one of the very few um, House Republicans to vote for impeachment. And Donald Trump, unlike others who voted like Liz Cheney, uh, you know, he's really uh, kept away from uh, from Valadeo. He hasn't gone after him. I'm sure Kevin McCarthy, whose district is neighboring, has uh, said to him, look, you know, you need to lay off Valadeo. He's our best chance for holding on to that seat. Um, you know, Mike Pence will help r- rally the base uh, for Valadeo, maybe raise some money. Um, and of course, he's been critical of Donald Trump as well. But it's, you know, it's one of those, it's a tough needle to thread, I think, because there are certainly concerns about Trump and lingering Republican policies about um, immigration and other things that have uh, tarnished the Republican label. So it's kind of a mixed blessing, but I'm sure Valadeo appreciates the help. Yeah, we are getting some comments from listeners. One tweet said, this is admittedly a fringe stance, but I I voted for Joel Ventresca in the primary and I'm planning to vote for Brian Daly in the general. I'm sick of the conceit pervasive in the Bay Area that the Democratic Party cannot possibly govern from the center right. Uh, Seema, maybe I'll throw this one to you. Another listener wants to know, who among these candidates do you see as the future of the Democratic Party? Someone who can take the mantle of Feinstein and Pelosi. What are your thoughts? Oh, wow. Um, well, it's earlier we were talking about Will Rollins, and I think, um, I mean, I think most people agree that he's a, he's definitely going places. I mean, he's very charismatic, very smart, and um, just, just see Democrats in the area just really, really like him. Um, that's one person, obviously. Um, I'm Alex Padilla. I think I was going to say, I, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, in terms of the uh, statewide, you know, a senator, you know, a senator, well, you know, first, uh, you know, he was city council president like 20 years ago. Um, you know, he was in the state legislature and leadership. You know, then secretary of state, now U.S. senator, and he's still fairly young. Um, so I think that he's uh, he's one of the more prominent elected Latino officials in the country. Um, so I think he's definitely another person to watch. 
Awesome. Uh, well, Marissa writes, it's important in our system to not have a state controlled by only one party. Unfortunately, the R label has become very toxic given the Republican support of anti-democratic values, such as casting unfounded doubts on election integrity. Should Californians vote for more moderate Republicans for statewide offices to rejuvenate that party and make it more reasonable force for democracy? Or should we avoid voting for anyone who supports such a toxic ideology? I don't think our reporters can answer that question. That's a question for you, Marissa, as a voter. Um, but I do have another call from Will in Sacramento. Will, you are on the line. Go ahead. What's on your mind? Oh, I got so much for these reporters, these so-called conservative reporters. This, this, The narrative is the Democrats are in bad shape. Everything's wrong with the Democrats, everything. Look, you guys put up Lee Elder. And I knew some kicked his butt, sent him back to the radio station. Look, all these election deniers and all these people, nobody, California is not going to vote for these people, these type of people. All they care about is immigration and, and you know, I mean, they never, I mean, what what is the Republicans' agenda? <laughs> tell me, please tell me. All right. <laughs> please don't say abortion. And one more thing. Yeah. They always bringing up uh, Biden's age. Chuck Grassley is about 150. You got a lot of senators, Republican senators, damn near 100 years old. And, <laughs> well, it, and, it, and yeah. they're bringing up Feinstein. They're bringing up Feinstein. You guys, you talk show host people need to be fair. The, the Republicans are in trouble because they're election deniers. That, right. That's why they're in trouble. Thank you, Will. We really appreciate the call. That's what you would call an, an ungettable voter for the Republicans. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> um, but Seema, I mean, you know, I, I wonder... Are people talking in some of these swing districts? Do Republican voters, more moderates or independents, care about things like the January 6th insurrection, about bigger questions about you know the legitimacy of elections? Um, mm-hmm. Is that potent for Democrats? I, people I mean, in certain districts, they certainly are talking about it. And I, I know we already talked about the Calvert-Rollins race, but Go, that is one race more. where it's, yeah. <laughs> you know, where, where that, they're really bringing it up. And if you talk to Calvert, you know, he, he voted against certifying Arizona and Pennsylvania, he said, because he believed that there were issues with uh, the electoral process in both of those states. However, he said, even without those electoral votes, uh, Biden would still be uh, would still have enough to be president. And he also said that he accepts that Joe Biden legitimately won the 2020 election. Um, but Will Rollins has certainly, you know, I mean, he was spending the end of his career before he started running, you know, prosecuting people who were involved with January 6th. So he has certainly, he's really highlighted that issue. In other areas, you know, if you ask people, for example, um, Scott Bauer, Brian Merritt, if you ask people, you know, they'll talk about it, but it's not something that they're, that, that, that anyone's really pushing at the front. Um, like, for example, in uh, Brian Marriott's running against um, Mike Levin in the district that straddles San Diego, Orange County. So there's a lot more discussion about climate change and electricity and the grid and um, and the economy and gas prices than um, than there really is about January 6th. So I think it really varies. It, it's sort of contest by contest. Yeah. I know we brought this up before, but another kind of interesting rate is is that Kevin Kiley versus Kermit Jones. This is uh, Congressional District 3, which covers a huge swath of Eastern California. Um, Guy, any thoughts on that? I mean, that, that one seems like a little bit more uphill for Democrats, even though Kermit Jones is a very good candidate. Yeah, you know, I haven't really followed this uh, district that closely. It's definitely like the staffers district from hell just because of the (laughs) distance. Uh, It it basically cuts along the entire eastern flank of the state. Um, Yeah, I mean, look, Kevin Kiley, he's 
been on the ballot uh, multiple times at this point, running for not only state assembly, but state senate for governor. Um, So I think maybe he comes into this with the kind of name ID that even though it is such a large district, I do think the biggest pockets of voters you're going to find are in the Sacramento suburbs, places like Roseville, Folsom. I mean, those are places that are kind of nearby where he's or where he is already representing in the state assembly. So I do think that's an advantage for him. Absolutely. And I know we're getting a lot of questions today on Prop 30. I do want to tell folks um, that we can try to hit some of those. We talked about it in the first hour, and I know we're doing an entire hour later this week on 26 and 27. Those are those sports betting ads that you uh, cannot get away from. Um, We are talking about this November's election, about statewide races and congressional races on your ballot with KQED's politics and government editor Scott Schaefer. He co-hosts Political Breakdown with yours truly. Guy Marzarati, reporter and producer for KQED's politics and government desk. And Seema Mehta, she's staff writer for the LA Times. She's been covering these midterm elections. You are listening to Forum. I'm Marisa Lagos in Fermina Kim. All right. We only have, I don't know, eight minutes left today, but I do want to hit on a couple of local races down south in Los Angeles. We have a mayor's race, SEMA, which we kind of alluded to before. This is between uh, Congresswoman Karen Bass, a longtime uh, politician in the L.A. area, and uh, billionaire developer Rick Caruso. He spent, well, I don't know, is it, it's it's over $60 million. Do we have a, a, a updated mm-hmm. number on this race? The last time I looked, it was like 61, um, and that was a week or two ago. No, of his own money. His own money. So yeah. tell us how this race is breaking down, because Caruso came out real strong in the spring, you know, mm-hmm. I think was really writing this public safety concerns, um, but right. he did not do as well in the primary, and polls have shown him really trailing uh, Karen Bass. Mm-hmm. And of course, we should mention, now this race is playing out in the aftermath of those leaked racist tapes, right. which has resulted in at least one city council member resigning already. Right. I mean, the, this race has been such a roller coaster because you're right. When he first started campaigning, it was very much focused on there's so much crime. There's so much homelessness. You know, I alone can fix it. I'm a businessman. And, you know, you need somebody from outside of the establishment to really you know, go into City Hall and shake things up. And people, you know, I mean, he was also spending a lot of money on that message. Um, and then again, with with the uh, Supreme Court ruling overturning Roe, this uh, it sort of became a nationalized uh, you know election again, where there's a lot of focus on abortion, and he's given a lot of money to um, to candidates across the country who oppose uh, abortion rights. And so then you know that's what we were talking about you know in June, and then you know you have these tapes that came out you know where you have you know three members of uh, the city council and like a labor leader making just really horrific racist um, and you know comments and you know talking about diluting the african-american vote and just it's it was really it's i haven't seen i've worked in la for 24 years and i've never seen a city hall story like this that has just cut through you know the whole city and so that's really changed things and i think you know for karen bass i mean one of the groups that that the three council members and the labor leader were disparaging was a group that she founded in um you know yeah in 1990 to you know to forge relationships between black voters and latino voters and this is one of the groups that they're saying oh you know we can't let them have any power um so that's i mean that's really you know, I think you know, she has something to talk about there. Um, Crusoe is also arguing that see, these are you know more more when you have a bunch of people who have been in the establishment for so long. This is what happens. You get these backroom deals and these backroom conversations. So you know the race has just twisted and turned so much. The other thing, you know, Crusoe is obviously spending a ton of money advertising on television, but he's also putting a ton of money into the field program, trying to get out voters. That's going to be interesting to see if like that yeah. if that investment pays off. Because Bass has you know the support of labor and Scott. I'm just curious. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, Bass not only co-founded one of those groups to help 
real bridges between Latino and black communities, but also between Asian and black communities after the L.A. riots and Mm -hmm. everything we saw happen there. Um, So on the one hand, she is a sort of establishment figure, Mm -hmm. but she also like this is her ballywick. And Caruso has never done anything like that. Yeah. And he really doesn't have a great story to tell about what he would do if he became mayor to bring the city back together. Um, I, when this first broke, I thought, oh, this is going to help Crusoe, just because it, it, everybody looks so bad. Not everybody, but it, it was like, oh, this city government is a mess. Let's just throw everybody out and bring in a fresh face. But, yeah, but Bass, as you know, she's black, and obviously that was a lot of the, the racism was really focused on black voters. And she convened this group, like, within a day yeah, to Yeah, she was on top of it. it. This yeah. is really in her wheelhouse. You know, this is the kind of thing that Karen Bass can do. Um, you know, she's up against tens of millions of dollars in advertising. Uh, Biden was there last week uh, to uh, campaign with her, raise money with her. So uh, we'll see. I mean, it's a city that's heavily Democratic uh, and polling shows she's been ahead uh, all along. Uh, but we'll have to see just how this uh, shakes out. I'd be interested to see some exit polls from that election. Um, but uh, I don't know if you know, anybody's even going to do that. Maybe the L.A. Times will, Seema. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Well, we like to do uh, just make you know our 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 folks uncomfortable. So as Seema said, we don't like to do predictions. But Richard wants to know, Seema, thoughts on the chances of Democratic candidates like Jay Chen? He's running in Orange County. Katie Porter, she's also an Orange County uh, Congresswoman, and Christy Smith. Uh, those are all different races, but I, yeah. I, I mean. I guess what I would ask is, like, of the potential kind of swing districts, which ones do you think are more likely to go for Democrats or Republicans? Like, are there ones that it just doesn't seem that exciting anymore? Mm. Well, Katie Porter, I mean, her her district is very tight, but she has so much money. I was just looking at the FEC records uh, filed this weekend. And of, the, you know, of, of every member of the House, she's the number three biggest fundraiser after uh, McCarthy and Pelosi. And it's so that that gives her an advantage. And she's really well known. And the person she's running against isn't very well known. So that one, it seems like that that Democrats might have a better shot with that. Jay Chen, I think, um, you know, Democrats were excited about him in his contest against uh, Representative Michelle Steele. That race has turned so ugly um, with accusations of red baiting and misogyny and racism um, between two Asian American candidates. So hey, voters, I mean, they seem kind of tired of the race already. And Michelle Steele also has, you know, a lot, she has a lot of fundraising advantage. She's well known in the community. Um, she has a lot of backing from people who are prominent. So I think while Democrats were hopeful about that race, it seems like they might be a little bit less hopeful. And then uh, with Christy Smith versus Mike Garcia, I mean, it's, if she loses again, it's really uh, hard to see what her next step is. And it, you know, the fact that, you know, that the, you know, that the House Democrats, one of the, the outside groups just pulled funding for ads in LA is a little telling. Yeah. That is Seema Mehta. She's staff writer for the L.A. Times covering the midterm elections. Be sure to check out all of her reporting at LATimes.com. Seema, we really appreciate you being here this hour. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Also with us uh, was Guy Marzarati, reporter and producer for California's Politics and Government Desk. And he'll be back talking, I think, about the San Jose mayor's race and Props 26 and 27 later this week. Thank you, Guy. My pleasure. And, of course, Scott Schaefer, my partner in crime. He is KQD's Politics and Government Editor. And we are going to be back with you for a few more episodes. Scott will be hosting tomorrow at 9. So tune in for that. Thanks, Scott, for all of your insight. Oh, thank you so much. Good to be with you. I am Marisa Lagos and Fermina Kim, and I want to say thank you for joining us and keep those questions coming. We'll be back this week for a couple more episodes. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, 
the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.